We talked last week. We've been looking the last few times at Jesus moving towards the Resurrection Sunday. And after we celebrated Easter, we looked last week at how Jesus spoke to his disciples saying, Guys, you've got to wait in Jerusalem until this gift that my Father gives, that promised Holy Spirit would come. And God was moving. I feel like when we emphasize what the Lord has given to us, that regenerated, born-again, new life that we have in the, in the Holy Spirit, that, that, that is something that God always honors. And the Lord was moving here last week. I really, I really felt like the sense of, of God calling us to that, that new life that he has. The disciples had to wait. Jesus told them, hey, this is what's going to happen. Now stay in Jerusalem. Now wait. And he was ascended on high. All of a sudden, I, I think they were looking up in the clouds, and the angels appeared and kind of said to the disciples, why are you still looking up? He told you what to do. Go, 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 wait, and all of that. I think I need some more instructions. Wait? What? How do you wait? Does anybody know how to wait? I don't think I know how to wait. Um, what does it mean to wait? I think I'm the most impatient person ever. What does it mean to wait? Why wait? Let's go ahead and do whatever we need to get done. Let's go ahead and go. Why wait? I am not a waiting kind of person. What do we do next? What should we be involved in? What's going on? The scripture this morning, we're going to see how the apostles and the disciples had to wait. And what did they do? They had to make some decisions. They had to make some choices. They wanted to wait. In the middle of waiting, they began to sense God's moving and God's leading. Just like we as a church in the middle of waiting still need to make some decisions. Still need to move forward together. And I don't know if you're one of these people, but I kind of get a paralysis of analysis. Sometimes in the middle of, of looking at all the things I have to do and all the choices I have to make, I get confused. So today we're going to look at the scripture, how the apostles, I think, actually gave us an example of how to make good decisions. Now, you've got lots of decisions to make. Uh, my favorite one is this one. Where are we going to go eat? Do you hate that question? I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? I don't know. What, 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 I don't care. Well, I'm, I'm happy with anything. I, just, I, I, I don't even, none of it sounds good. I mean, it all sounds good. I'm sorry. Let's go eat. Do you get that? I felt like these were some very creative uh, named restaurants. Did you notice that? The I don't care cafe. Where do you want to eat? I don't care. Well, I guess you're going there. Or how about the I don't know Chinese restaurant? It's like, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Okay, well, let's go to I don't know then. I mean, uh, they're trying to trap you into that, right? I, 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 that was pretty creative. I got to be honest. They, they sort of know our life. Whoever, whoever came up with those titles knows our lives and how we debate those. Um, I was sharing this with, I think, one of you guys. I think it was Ryan. He was telling me, no, there's an app for this. Isn't there an app for this now? Yeah, there's an app. There, there's these spin-a-wheel things, or there's an app that will pick your restaurant for you. You no longer have to go through that long debate. You just go, where are we going to eat? And you hit the button, and it will spin the wheel, and all of a sudden, you're going to McDonald's. I don't like McDonald's. Well, too bad. That's where you're going, because the app says, you're going to Denny's. You're going to McDonald's. You're going to wherever you don't want to go, and you're going there. Okay. I, Guys, we can't do that as a church, right? Wouldn't it be great if we just had the app of God's will? Okay, God, what am I supposed to do? Yes, no, me. You know, like, kind of like the magic eight ball. God, just tell me, and I'll do what you want. Just show me, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll roll the dice and just know. Surely that can't be the way. The apostles in Acts chapter 1, the first disciples of Jesus, these, these, these leaders, they had to make some decisions. And would you look with me and see what we can learn? 
from this text. In Acts chapter 1, it starts out this way. The apostles returned from Jerusalem. Jesus has just been exalted into heaven. The angels just said, quit standing here. Go do what he said. They walked back to Jerusalem. It was only about a Sabbath day's walk. That's less than a mile uh, from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Now those present were... Here's the 11 apostles, because we've lost Judas. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. That's not Judas Iscariot. He's gone. It says they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That's Jesus' brothers. It says in those days... So now it's been a little while. Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through King David concerning Judas, that's Judas Iscariot, who served as a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now he was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. Now, on an aside, with the payment that Judas received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and he fell headlong. His body burst open. His intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, and so they called the field in their language uh, Akeldama, which means field of blood. Back to Peter, verse 20. And so Peter said, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to fill it. And may another take his place of leadership. Okay, you see the big first question? Who's going to fill this role? They had 12 apostles. Now they're down one. Judas the traitor is gone. We've got to fill this, Peter says. We need to get a new apostle. How in the world do you make that decision? Well, it says in verse 21, Therefore it's necessary for us to choose one of the men who's been with us the whole time that the Lord was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, uh, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everybody's heart. Show us which one of these two you've chosen to take part in this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go to a place where he belongs. And this final verse, don't miss this one, verse 26. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was added to the eleven apostles. Wait a second. You got the scene here, right? There's 11 apostles, and they've got Jesus' brothers there. Those, I mean, they've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. They've got the other women who had traveled with them. It's a group now, about 120 disciples who had been with Jesus. And they're like, okay, we've got to get a new one. We've got to get a new apostle. There needs to be 12. I don't know why there has to be. Well, there's got to be 12. Okay, we're going to get 12. All right, how are we going to do this? All right, well, let's pray. God, show us. All right. <clears throat> so anybody, anybody got a coin to flip or something? Um, here's a couple guys. Let's flip a coin. Is that how we're supposed to make big decisions? (laughs) All right, well, I don't know. What major am I going to major in in college? I don't know. I'm going to just kind of like go through. I'm going to flip through the the, the guide here. I'm going to flip through uh, the course schedule, and I'm going to pick chemistry. Well, that's a bad (laughs) idea. I've really been dating this young lady for a while. Should I get married or not? All right, heads I'm getting married, tails I'm... 
Are we going to do this? I mean, is this really what the scripture is saying? How do you pick an apostle? Do you just flip a coin? It can't be just flip a coin, right? I mean, it can't be the biggest decisions in your life you're just leaving up to chance. It is, that can't be what God's teaching. Well, I don't think it is. I think we actually learned some important truths about Christian decision-making, about making decisions together as God's people. And I want us to kind of dig deeper into this text because I think if we read the story carefully, we're going to find out four important truths. Number one, if we're going to make decisions together, we need to be together. We need to fellowship together regularly. We need to be with each other to help know both the mind of God and each other's hearts and minds as we figure out exactly how God is leading us. Notice what they did after Jesus rose. Look in verse 13. It says this. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Notice that many of these first followers were staying in the same house. They were actually fellowshipping together, being together. Now, some people believe this is that same upper room where Jesus uh, had experienced that last supper with his disciples, but that probably isn't accurate. A lot of places in Palestine at this time, the, the way they constructed their houses, there were the lower floors, but then you had an upper third floor or third level that you would actually get to by going with an external staircase. So these were often like a bigger room that were sort of used for like a parties or big large family gatherings they would often be rented out like hey okay we've got some college students you guys can call you know stay in that upstairs suite you know they would have some things this is what they used uh, to entertain guests apparently they had gotten to one of these upper rooms and they were using it both as the place where they were living and a place to meet together for prayer and fellowship but they were together notice in verse 14 it says this they all joined together in prayer, along with the women, Mary, Jesus' mother, and Jesus' brothers. That they were together. They were with each other. They spent time in each other's presence. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says this, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I need to take an aside here for a second. The universe has changed on us. You realize that, right? We have had one of these great, like, upheavals with this pandemic that sort of changed how life goes about, right? Many of you all now work like remotely all the time. That is your new world order. Um, you don't go into the office. Anybody that in that situation? I mean, it, it, that just is a change for me. I, I, I did the teaching online for a year. I don't, I didn't like, I did not enjoy it. I think I just talked to little blue boxes that had their initials on it. I don't think anyone was listening. I had to put my own little box on there where I could see myself. So at least I could talk to myself. And I think after a year, something happened. <laughs> There's me and there's me, and now I know both of us, and we're real, we're good friends after that year. It was a little bit kind of shaky, right? It was bizarre, I'm telling you. But here's the deal. <clears throat> One of my friends who was pastoring a small church, they decided they would go completely online. Why spend the money for the building? Why rent the space they were renting? And now they've decided to have this sort of global set of communities where they are being communities together online. Now, I've got to be honest, I'm not quick to judge, and I don't know how that's working. I just know I don't want to be a part of that, but I'm glad that if they can make that work, okay. But here's the deal. 
however we are God's people, whether it's online or in his presence, we actually need that fellowship and need that connection. So if you're on some kind of online thing where you're talking and you're communicating and you're, okay, making connections, that may work. But for most of us, God has opened up the door. We need to be in each other's presence. We need to see each other face to face. We need to be able to give a handshake, give a hug, tell someone you love them. We we, we need to be there. Look at what it says in verse 24. Consider how we (laughs) may spur one another on towards love and towards good deeds. It's hard for me to challenge you. It's hard for you to challenge me. It's hard for one another for us to spur one another when we don't see each other, when we can't see that, well, maybe it's a complaining spirit, or maybe it's a discouraged attitude, or maybe it's a, or maybe you're setting the example by being joyful or being patient or being extremely kind. I want to see that. You want to see that in me, and we need to challenge each other. Part of that is being together. Now here's the deal. We all miss Sundays. Some of you guys are coming up with, anybody got some plans for the summer vacation? Vicky and I already bought our tickets. <laughs> okay, um, I'm getting excited about summer. I, I am, there are going to be some Sundays I'm not going to be here. I'm going to love you from a distance. In spirit, and tr- I will be here, but I might be, I'll be here. There, there's going to be a couple weeks, and that is okay. We all need times of vacation. We all need times that we're away, and, and we structure those. And in this new world order, that, that is kind of how things are shaping up, and it is okay. But there's a, not a habit, right? We don't want to be in the habit of, well, yeah, I'll go to church every, you know, six months or so. I'll just check in with my church family every two or three months or something. I'll just stop by. That doesn't work. That would be a habit, right? That's when it's every, every time. That's when it's more of the time I'm away than I'm together. We need to, what does it say? Encourage one another and all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. Brothers and sisters, when we're going to make decisions together, we need to be together. Number two, here's a truth in this word. We need to connect with God through both Scripture and prayer constantly when we're making decisions. Constantly. Look at what it says in verse 14. They join together constantly in prayer constantly in prayer. And what did they pray? Well, notice in verse 24 that when it came down to that decision moment, they actually went ahead and vocalized their prayer and said it this way. They prayed, you know everyone's heart. So show us which of these two you have chosen. You know, you show us what you have chosen. Guys, there is a confidence in God in that passage. Here's how I approach God sometimes. Oh, Lord, if there's some way you can help. Oh, 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 oh Lord, oh, Lord, uh, oh, please, please, please show us. Oh, we just need your guy. You know, we're kind of, there needs to be a confidence in our prayers. Do you remember the scene where Jesus was transfigured and they came down the mountain, Jesus, Peter, James, John, Jesus who had just heard the voice of God, the apostles who had just heard the voice of God, they get down the mountain and there's a man with a son who, who, who had been um, possessed by a demon. He had brought the son to the disciples and the disciples couldn't drive the demon out. And Jesus is asking what they're arguing about. And the man says, well, I brought this, my son, he's, he's, he's been like this for so long. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't heal him. They couldn't drive out the demon. 
But if you can do anything. But if you can do anything. And Jesus responds, if, <laughs> if you can. Everything's possible for him who believes. I think we need to approach God when we're together. <laughs> my prayers change. My prayers change from, oh Lord, I'm just hoping that maybe you could help me out here, to, Lord, <laughs> you know. You know the end from the beginning. Lord, you know. Your wisdom no one can fathom. Lord, you know how we should go. Lord, you know what, what is in store and what is ahead. You know what is around the corner. God, you know. And so in boldness, children, your children ask you for things all the time. And Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven not give good gifts to you who ask? So we ask, show us. You know, you show. God, would you teach us the way to go? Would you put my steps on the right path? God, we're going to say, you show because you have chosen some things. Um, Lord, maybe there's places where God's giving us freedom, but where you have chosen, God, would you make it clear? There's been some situations in my life where I did not know. Is this the right career? Is this the right step? Now, obviously, you guys are thinking, yeah, well, you knew Vicky was the right one because, man, if you were, didn't pick that, you would have been dumb. And you were right about that. But even in my heart, I, bet I was a little, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I, was, I was young, 22 years old, and I'm thinking about proposing, and I'm thinking, what, what do I do here? I know, I was a kid. I, I'm looking at pictures, I'm thinking, they just should not have let me get married. Um, I, um, they should, I don't know why, what they were thinking. I felt so young. And my prayer was this, Lord, you know, you show. And if somehow this is not right, would you be the roadblock? Would you put a big uh, warning sign, the bridges out? Would you make it clear? Brothers and sisters, we can pray with confidence. God has answered those prayers at times where he's just given the go-ahead. And at times where God has intervened in my life and said, no, the bridge is out. No, don't go down that path. And he has intervened to stop me. And I am so thankful that the Lord answers our prayer. Are we praying with confidence as a church? Are we praying constantly as a church? You know. You show. You've chosen. Well, it also says that while they were worshiping and fasting in Acts chapter 13, God speaks. He, he brings up things that he's got on his mind. It wasn't on the church's mind. They weren't even seeking God's direction at this point. But the early church in Acts, that church in Antioch, God spoke through the Holy Spirit while they were in prayer, while they were fasting. They were just seeking God in general, and God gave some specific things. He put specific things on their hearts that they were supposed to do. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 2. It says, while this group of Christians, while this church in Antioch was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart, and here it is, he's chosen, Barnabas and Saul, later called Paul, the one who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, Saul and Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I've called them to. Oh my goodness. God leads us. God speaks. God directs, even when we're not looking for a particular answer, even when we're not looking for a particular ways. God has already got some things for us to do. Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 10, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he's laid out 
in advance for you to do. If we're not listening, if we're not paying attention, if we're not there, how in the world are we going to be ready to be in step with the Holy Spirit? I don't know if your mind drifts, but mine does. <clears throat> I, I drive on autopilot sometimes. Do you, know, do you do that? I'm supposed to be going to church, but I end up going to Towson University, or I'm supposed to be going to Towson and Stevenson, and I end up at church, and I'm in the parking lot going, I'm supposed to be teaching in 15 minutes. I'm not even supposed to be here. What am I doing? And I have to quickly go to somewhere else where I'm supposed to be. Do you, anybody else do the autopilot because your, your, your mind's drifting? Well, sometimes I'm drifting at that stoplight. You know, I'm sitting there. It's going to be a little while. My mind's thinking about other things. I'm blessed by the guy behind me <laughs> who wants me to know that the light has now turned green. It is now time for us to go. Somewhere that person behind me is giving me the little <laughs> beep, beep, let's go. You know, sometimes they're just not, they're not, they're really blessing me. <laughs> um, they may be blessing me out, but I mean, they're, they're ready to go and I'm not going. So you know how that goes. Well, the Lord speaks to us during those times of when we're in, in tune with him, when we're in his presence, when we're together praying, seeking his face. Gives us little nudges. Those little beep, beep, it's time to move. Beep, beep, it's time to go. Let's follow him. We need to be together in prayer and fasting. Now, notice also it's not just prayer, but Scripture played a role. In verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he says, Brothers and sisters, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. He knew what was happening. He knew how God was working because the Scripture had already told him that there was going to be someone who would betray Jesus. This was a fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus had told him. He had explained it. But they had also known from the Scriptures that there would be one who would betray. There would be one who would turn their back on Jesus. One who would show uh, uh, the others wh wh where, where Jesus was. They already knew there was going to be a betrayer. He sees it in the book of Psalms, verse 20. Peter says, it is written in the book of Psalms, may one, may his place be deserted, let no one dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Now there's a little bit of confusion. <clears throat> I gotta be honest, when you put these two Psalms together, it is kind of confusing. Are you supposed to let the place be deserted, or are you supposed to put someone in, the, in his spot? Which is it, Peter? Someone get the coin out, we gotta flip a coin here. We gotta make a decision. No, no, Peter understood, I think, from the Holy Spirit and from the context on um, what may his place be deserted. Now, actually, Bible scholars today are a little bit divided. Some think that it's saying that it was for a time it's supposed to be deserted, and then later you're supposed to fill the place of leadership. Others say, no, no, no. If you notice in context, the passage right before uh, Luke, uh, the writer of Acts, sort of on an aside says, now this is what happened to Judas, and he bought this field, and that's where he died, and... The other gospel writers tell us that that field was ultimately used as sort of a burial plot for people who had no money and had no place. Well, there's this field, and the guy already died in it, and we buried him right there. And what else are we going to use that field for? There's no one to sell it. There's no one to buy it. Let's just use it sort of like a, for the public good and use it as a burial plot. And so maybe no one dwells there. It's nobody's house. It's not anybody's farmland. So, so maybe the scripture is talking about that. But either way, the idea is, look, something is gone. And here's what we need to do next. Fill his place of leadership. Another must take that role. Another must take that, that spot. This is where we came into this verse today. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my fat path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word, God, 
is that lamp unto my feet and that light unto my path. So often, we take these quick little, I don't know, dips into Scripture. These like, oh, where's my verse of the day? Where's my little thought for the, you know, like an encouraging little thought. Brothers and sisters, as we follow God, we need to be diving deep. We need to allow Scripture to saturate our pores. I mean, it's just coming out of us, that, that, that his words and his idea, because we need to know God's character, because when a choice comes up, it's like, that sounds like God. You don't know that from the verse of the day. You know that from knowing him and knowing him deeply through his word and through his scripture. You've got to know that meant, that just, it's calling me to sacrifice, or this is calling me to the easy path. It's always sacrifice. I'm just telling you, our God is a sacrificial God. It's maybe not always, but it's typically sacrifice. When we know his heart, we know his direction, we've got to dive deep into his, into his word so that we know his character we, and our thinking becomes conformed to his thinking. In Romans chapter 12, that's what the apostle Paul tells us. He said, in light of God's mercy, in view of his mercy, what? Present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And let your minds be transformed. A renewing of your mind. Not conformed to this pattern of this world. Being transformed by this constant renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know God's will? You can't know God's will when you're not surrendered. You can't know God's will when your character and your mind is not being transformed by a constant renewing from his word. I, it's just, it's impossible. <clears throat> I remember a couple students, and, and they, great students, I love them, I, I'd seen them, they'd been dating, it'd been kind of sweet, it'd been special, and I remember the young man was like, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, marriage. I, I'm thinking about maybe, maybe if she's the one. Well, I'd watched them in their spiritual journey, and I'd seen when God was just sort of all over their life, when they were like passionate about missions, when they were passionate about knowing God, when they were growing in their faith, and now in their senior year or so, things had kind of cooled off. I mean, they were still coming to church, but the desire to be close to God, well, maybe not really was their, their thing anymore. Uh, maybe it became kind of routine. Maybe it became kind of average. Maybe they were thinking about what's next in med schools and other things and choices they were making. And things had just cooled off in their heart and their mind. And I remember saying to this young man, you know, when you're making the biggest decisions in your life, and this is it, Jesus is number one. I kind of think it's a no-brainer. <laughs> just you, Jesus. But number two is marriage. And if you're going to be in making that decision don't you want to be in God's presence? Don't you want to be hearing from him? Don't you want to be in that right place when you're making the biggest decisions of your life? Guys, let God's words saturate us. The Peter, this, this, this fisherman, had come to a place where he knew God's word enough that God's word was speaking to him, saying, look, we've got to fill this spot. We've got to fill this role. Prayer. Being in God's word. There's a third one I think we see in this passage. We need to understand the situation deeply. We need to understand what's going on here. Um, <clears throat> what were they replacing? What, who, what role were they filling? 
Brothers and sisters, in the scripture, there's what's called, I call it a big A apostle. Big A apostle. Well, what's a big A apostle? These were some specifically these 12 guys chosen by Jesus. Now, I've got this from, I don't know, I pulled off this. I don't know if this is what they look like. Do they all have beards, not have beards? Do they have long hair? Looks like they have these shoulder length. I, I, we don't know what they look like. I mean, we, we don't. Um, uh, were they all white guys? I Probably not. I mean, <laughs> we don't know these guys. But these were 12 men chosen by God to be a witness to Jesus' life, to his teaching, and to his resurrection. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 1. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who's been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning with John's baptism, all the way to the time when Jesus was taken up for, to, to heaven from us. For one of them must become a witness with us of his resurrection. To be an apostle, to be one of these big A apostles, you had to see Jesus. You had to see the resurrected Jesus. You had to hear the teaching of Jesus because you were going to be one of those who would carry those teachings forward. You were going to lay the foundation for the church. You were going to be one of these important people that, that, that God would use in that significant way. And there aren't any more of those big A apostles. They were New Testament Christian leaders with a specific encounter and calling from the Lord. And they often became these New Testament missionaries. Oh, wait, oh, oh, I skipped the page. There aren't any more of these guys. They were the 12. In the scriptures, though, it's confusing because they're also little A apostles. That's what I call them. I don't know if anybody else calls them that. I like calling them that. The little A guys. Who are the little A guys? Well, these were these Christian leaders that had a specific encounter or calling from God, and they often served as, as missionaries, starting new churches, um, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul had a special encounter with the Lord, and so he uses the term apostle. He calls a Barnabas, his teammate, his missionary teammate, an apostle. And look what it says in Romans 16. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. So who are these 12 guys? Why is there this specific number that there has to be? Well, in Matthew 19, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man, that means himself, sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, there's something going on there. There are 12 thrones. And the 12 tribes of Israel, symbolically meaning the entirety of the people of God, would be these guys who would be represented by these 12 apostles. In Revelation, it says that the city, uh, the new Jerusalem, will have a wall, and it will have 12 foundations, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And there might have even been a practical sense. Not just this wild, out there, ordained plan of God, but a synagogue in that day, you had to have ten Jewish men, or you couldn't be a synagogue. When Paul travels around, sometimes he goes straight to the synagogue. In some cities, he shows up like Philippi. He doesn't go to the synagogue. Why? Because there's no synagogue. There had to be ten Jewish men, or there was no synagogue. Well, if you had 120 people, then you would take one of for representing each ten, and they would form a Sanhedrin, which would be sort of a, the ruling group, the group of elders for a larger context. So a synagogue, you got ten. But if you got twelve tens, now you could be 
a group that's large enough to have sort of a, an elder board, a set of leaders, a Sanhedrin is what it's called. Now the great Sanhedrin was the, the leaders of all the Jewish people, but, but this little Sanhedrin, did, did you notice what it said in Acts chapter 1, verse 15? In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. That number's not there by accident. They had gotten to a place, we need to make sure we set up the leadership right. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be talking about that today in our business meeting. We are moving to setting up the leadership. It can't be one pastor guy. It needs to be a plurality of leadership that every church has. Finally, in verse uh, fourth, I want you to know, in Christian decision-making, sometimes you just got to go ahead and pull the trigger. You make the decision, but you make it corporately. What did they do? They nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabas, also called Justice. I'm thinking he's going to lose. He only has three names. Actually, too hard to to remember. I don't know what to call that guy. I'll just go with the other one. Um, No, no, no. Actually, most Bible scholars says it almost like makes you think they're going to pick him because they emphasize him more. Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. I don't know if I want to make that big a deal of this, but they chose these two guys. These were men that they knew. They'd been with them for over three years. They'd seen their character. They'd, they'd seen how they followed Jesus. They were confident in these two choices. And so they prayed, Lord, show us which one you've chosen. And that's when, in verse 26, it says, they together cast lots. Now, some believe that this is an indication of voting. Like, they're like, all in favor of Matthias, all in favor with the guy with three names. Um, and and, and, and that, that, I don't know. Often in the Old Testament, they had what was called the umum and the thumum, and the priest would actually take these, these, these sticks and they would throw them. Sometimes they would use like a couple stones and we'll make a blue stone and a red stone and we'll shake them up in the cup and which one comes out first would be. So they often tried to use something like that to, for the guidance of God and to indicate how God would lead. For us, I think we can say, well, Holy Spirit, move, guide, and we just end up making a decision together. We vote, we try to make it clear. Um, but that's how we do it. And we trust that if there is something that we are not doing in the presence of God, and we are not doing according to his will, God will intervene. He will redirect our steps. It is a, it is a statement of faith, but it's a statement to kind of put an end to, to, to argument. Because sometimes we can feel differently about things. Sometimes we can feel strongly about certain things. And ultimately, we've got to make a decision. And so we vote. Trusting that God is leading us. And if we've made a mistake, he'll make that clear too. So today, um, I'm introducing this text in a lot because it reminds us that as Christians, we do make decisions together. And our church has some to make in the next six months, year, two years. How are we going to make those? We're not going to make those apart from God's spirit. We're not going to make those apart from prayer. We're not going to make those decisions apart from God's word. And we're not going to make those decisions apart from each other. Let's live like these first century believers, following Jesus, staying in step with his spirit. Some of you this morning, you might not be part of the collective. God's inviting you to join his people. And first, that might be by saying yes to Jesus, saying, I am choosing you. That's the first way. That's how you become part of his people globally. But also, he might be inviting you to be part of this group of Christians, this church, to be a member here so that you can let your voice join with those who, the other members and saying, yes, God is leading us and I affirm that and I am choosing to be here. 
this morning. If you want to speak with the Lord, if you want to make one of these decisions, I'll be up front. Pastor Barry's going to be here too. If you just need to be at the altar to pray, it'll be open. Mary's going to lead us in one more song. And if you'd like to sit or stand or pray or come to the front, you make a decision as God is calling you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for how it guides us even in how to make decisions. Be glorified, O Lord. We really need you. Lead the way. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King, our Shepherd. Amen. Amen.